Hey People's Church, it's so good to be with you today and I'm excited to introduce a message that I think is gonna be really, really tremendous. The transitional team invited uh, us to participate in helping put together a message on unity that will really transform your life. And today you're gonna be watching a message by a remarkable leader, a remarkable pastor by the name of Pastor Mark Veriges. And he's based in, uh, in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur, and has 35 campuses in 15 countries across the world. And he's done all of this in a very short period of time. He's a remarkable leader. And this message that you're about to watch today was a message that I heard in 2020. I was sitting in the room in a conference in Manchester, United Kingdom. And uh, this must be, in my opinion anyway, one of the best messages on unity I've heard. And I trust today that as you listen to this and as you open up your hearts and minds to the message behind this message, I think your lives will change. It is important for you in your journey and where you're going and your next to really internalize, process, and accept this context, this Word of God to change your lives. So we trust that you enjoy it. God bless, and I pray that this is a blessing to you. You know, when, when, when you think of a, of, a, of a major corporation or you think of any innovative secular company that produces anything like, you know, Apple or Samsung or any of the, you know, the technology, anything that's, you know, Tesla, whatever, there's, there's often two divisions that are completely opposite with different value systems, but are both integral to, to what happens. And one is the manufacturing division, where the whole value system is zero defect. It, everything has to be brilliant and perfect, e.g. Samsung. You don't want any errors, you don't want any mistakes, it's gotta be good. Then you've got the research and development section where really the whole thing is about winging it. The whole thing is about experimentation. In fact, in that division, if you make no mistakes, you've failed. Because really what you're trying to do is push this thing forward. And the creativity of these last 24 hours has really been the R&D room of God speak to us, breathe on us, do something that we could literally have a go. Winging it isn't. There are areas you need to know you've got to have rock solid so that you can have an R&D division. You don't want to be winging it on issues of character. You don't want to be winging it on issues that are bedrock of, in fact, it's the security of family and the relational context that gives you the, the freedom to dream and to think and to innovate. But one of the areas we need to make sure is patted down, rock solid and locked in if we're truly going to have an R&D or an experimental or this whole creativity culture is the issue, there's probably a few issue, areas, but is the issue of unity. Now, when you talk about unity, especially if a pastor talks about unity, the instant mindset is to think, uh-oh, who's fighting with who? The board member's got a problem with the youth pastor. There's clearly friction in the camp. That's because we've relegated unity to the medicine cabinet, and we think we only pull it out when there's tension. Unity is far more than just the medicine balm to heal conflict. Unity, the way God designed it, is actually the platform which gives you the, the freedom to dream, to think, to create. When the table around the table talk is united, in hearts we're committed, then we can explore the ends of the earth because we're all sort of singing from the same song sheet and we're all heading in the same direction. Unity becomes a platform from which we can then safely wing it. We can actually go into spaces. Where there's no trust, winging it is very suspicious. Trying anything new is met with all sorts of 
innuendo, and really all of this creativity is built on the bedrock of a fundamental commitment to one another. And when we talk about unity, and especially if you're the leader in your context, don't fear, as Pastor Glynn was saying earlier, to address stuff in the issue, you know, in the context of, well, people get upset, people get offended, because what you've got to do, and I hope what you leave with today, is an awareness, this thing really uh, has been the, a, a bedrock in the cornerstone of our journey at Kingdom City. And even though there's huge diversity in terms of the reach of what we're doing, at the core, at the bedrock, is a fundamental unity. Now, the chapter on unity that everyone knows about, again, you have to just expand your mind to think beyond Okay, unity means there's problems. Unity is actually God's secret weapon for mass acceleration. In fact, if you want to see growth and increase, you'd be shocked to think how significant unity is in that. Psalm 133, there's three verses. It says this, brethren, how good and how pleasant, which definitely beats bad and unpleasant, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. It's not enough to visit unity once a year, staff, leaders, thing, summit. You got to dwell in unity. The benefits that flow from unity belong to those who dwell there, who dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil, which is the Spirit of God, it's the anointing, it's the touch of heaven. Whatever you want to describe the oil of God, which is, which is symbolic of his anointing, it's like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down all the way to the edge or to the hem or to the tip of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commands a blessing, life forevermore. It's not really hard to sell anybody on the benefits of unity. Who doesn't want a commanded blessing? Who doesn't want life forevermore? And, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm not sure about Herman, I have never met him. Herman is the highest point in Palestine, and really the dew of Herman speaks of almost heaven itself. Dew is like the bringer of life. It's, 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 it's fresh, and, and literally the dew of Herman descending upon the mountains of Zion. Zion is where the city of David is. It's, it's where the people dwell. And really when we talk about heaven meeting earth, when we talk about a commanded blessing, when we talk about life forevermore, when we talk about all these wonderful things, it belongs as a byproduct to every person who chooses to dwell in unity. Your marriage will experience heaven. Your church will experience heaven. Everything you're a part of experiences heaven, which is why we have to work hard to not only protect unity but create it, which also explains why the devil works so hard to divide us. And the reason he sows destruction and division is not just to foul up your friendships. Let me explain verse 2. Verse 2 has really been a, a thing that's unpacked in our world, which has allowed us the ability to diversify, to, to, to try new things and to go there. Because here's the verse that caught my attention. Verse 2. It says, it's like the oil on the head, running down the beard, all the way to the edge of the garments. There is something that happens when you can have unity in your team, in your church, in your city, in your location, in your marriage, in whatever context, where what God is doing on the head flows all the way down to the edge. Now, what does that mean? When a church is in unity, when a leadership team is in unity, when a staff team is in unity, the anointing that's on the head goes all the way down to the edge. One of the most exhausting things of, in being a team is if only the head is anointed. 
God actually wants the whole body anointed. And the key to staying anointed is to stay united. Most of us go, I want to be anointed. God says, stay united, I'll keep you anointed. Because then what's on the head will flow all the way down to the edge of the garment. What does revival look like but the entire body of Christ anointed? We know the story of the woman with the issue of blood. She, 12 years, struggled with an issue, crawled through the crowd, broke every protocol. And where did she touch the Lord when she got her healing? The hem, the edge of his garment. Thank God that day, literally the whole body of Christ was anointed. She did not have the strength or the courage to touch the beard, the head, the shoulders. All she could grab was the hem, but there was oil even on the edge of his garment. The question is, when they touch the edge of my church or the edge of your church, is there oil? When they touch, and yet here's how we create that, that sense of flow, it's unity. And when you realize unity is far more than just healing conflict, it actually creates acceleration. The challenge is we have to surrender the right to understand how unity works with the anointing. I don't understand it any more than you do. I don't understand how Panadol works, but I know when I have a headache, I take it and it fixes everything. There's something about unity that, that makes John 17 now make a lot more sense. It now also shows why forgiveness is a key. Because every time the enemy can fracture, can divide, can splinter, whether it's a workplace, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a church, whether it's a team, he's not just fouling up your friendship, he's fouling up the flow of God. See, we're too charismatic for the devil. The worst thing he does if he sows friction is we just recover. We, we, we'll just move on. You know, I'll find a new church, find a new job, find a new spouse, find a new whatever. And we just, you know, you miss out on a season. It's caused some disruption, but we'll recover. But yet, he's not really trying to foul up your friendship. He's trying to foul up the flow. If the team is in unity, the oil flows. Like, in all our locations, I can tell you now, I've got pastors in areas, and they are not that gifted. They're not like the star of anything. And yet, there's great favor, there's great increase, and there's great flow because they're in unity. There's a sense of alignment. I've also had other pastors who are brilliant, far more gifted in multiple areas, but independent, got their own agenda, got their own issue, and yet not having the same fruit. And you go, I don't work, I don't get it. But the oil flows. When you stay united with what God is doing, you actually allow that oil to flow. And if you're the leader, that's why you have to run the risk of looking like when the pastor gets up and speaks about unity, it's like he's trying to say my way or the highway, or here he goes again, or here she goes again, and they're talking about this thing again because it's really trying to get it. No, 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 you've got to get beyond that and help people understand that, the, that revival looks like when they when the oil literally touches the edge of the garment the people in your city the people in your town they're not going to be able to get to the head not everyone can have an appointment with the head they're not even going to get to the beard all they're going to do is touch the fringe of your church all they're going to touch is the fringe and when they touch the fringe if there's oil there's revival there's healing and that's what revival really looks like the whole body empowered the whole body anointed not just the head but it happens naturally when we stay united i got a theory. I think the reason everyone wants to see the pastor, everyone wants to see the head, is because they've been to the edge and there was no oil. And so, and so really, when, when, when I find there's not a sense of favor or increase or anointing in an area, a division, a team, a department, a city, the first thing I check for is unity. 
The first thing, because I've realized that there's a flow that happens naturally. And, you know, I, we, we get testimonies. My favorite testimonies are the ones where it doesn't happen at the altar. It doesn't even happen on a Sunday. It happens on a Monday. It happens on a Wednesday. It happens at Connect Group. It happens in the car park. It happens in the school. That's what it looks like when the whole body is anointed. Um, one of my favorite testimonies, which I heard from one of our campuses uh, a while ago, was this guy by the name of Ian. I don't know his last name, but I know he serves in hospitality, so I refer to him as Ian from hospitality, because I actually don't know his last name. And he is a car, yard, a car salesman, and he worked in a car yard in, in one of the suburbs in Perth, and um, he's, you know, I, I've never, in fact, to be honest, I've only met him once since. That's because one of our pastors told us this story. And this is the story of Ian from Hospitality. He was trying to make a deal one day with a potential client, and the deal didn't go down. And as this elderly gentleman was walking off, Ian from Hospitality feels a nudge. He just hears God say, tell him, tell him about me. And Ian from Hospitality is like, oh, I think that's not, I don't think you're allowed to do that. You know, it's like... You know, like a breach, like, you know, God, I don't know. But they, he, was, he was sensitive enough to invite the guy back. And because he's not Ian from evangelism, he just fumbled his way through some version of how, you know, how, you know. And this guy clearly was ready to be saved. His eyes filled up. He was responsive. And to Ian's shock, he wanted to get saved then and there. Not even come to church on Sunday then and there. And so Ian from hospitality uh, says, um, okay, I think uh, we need to pray. Um, doesn't know how to lead him in prayer, but he sort of, but he knows enough. He's been to church a few times. And so he goes, let's pretend to look at this car and let's look at the tire. Let's, and they kneel at the tire, Ian from hospitality and this other guy, and he leads this man to Christ. This man says, that's, says the sinner's prayer and feels grateful. They sort of exchange details and he walks off. And Ian from hospitality is overwhelmed. He's like, he just led someone to the Lord at the car yard on a Tuesday afternoon. He's shocked. He's amazed. He's grateful. Thursday rolls around and he's like, I think we do this thing called follow-up. Because he's not Ian from follow-up. He's Ian from hospitality. So he's not sure how this thing works. But he's like, I think we've got to call this guy or at least connect with him, give him a Bible or something. So Ian tries to get a hold of this guy, can't get a hold of him, eventually lands on a number, and a lady answers the phone and said, I'm looking for so-and-so. And she said, yeah, that's my husband. I'm sorry. Last night he passed away. Now, Ian is shocked, as you were shocked right now hearing the story. And the lady on the phone says, yeah, I, I'm his wife. Are you the guy from the car yard? And he said, yeah, well, when, he, when my husband came back, he was radiant. He was talking about this God. And he's talking about you, the, you, the guy that he met at the car yard. Who, and it, 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 Ian is shocked. And, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the point of the story. That man did not have another Sunday left in his life. Thank God there was oil on the edge of the garment. When people come in, real revival looks like when they're not coming on Sunday, when they're not coming to the altar, the entire body of Christ is anointed. God still today wants his whole body anointed. He doesn't just want one anointed division, one anointed department. He wants the whole body anointed. And if, and if you and I in leadership understand that, we now have a high value on unity. It's no longer just for the problems or for that particular board member that you're thinking of right now or whoever. Like it's actually, this is something that's proactive and it releases the flow in the favor of God. And, and, and really our journey, just like your journey, we just genuinely try to keep people united 
And we watch God anoint this thing, and it flows literally all the way down to the edge. Now, the challenge with unity is this. The Bible says that in Acts chapter 2, they were in one place, in one accord. To get everybody into this room for this summit is one place. To get one place, everyone in one place, takes logistics. To get everyone with one accord takes unity. Logistics will create a together environment, but only unity will create the kind of flow where the oil will keep flowing. And so here's in this season of multi-site and growing locations, you could have 20 locations and have one heart. It's just as easy to have one location and have 20 hearts. Because it's logistics to get us in one place, but it's unity that keeps us in one accord. And really, the unity thing is so powerful, but it's also what we unite around is ultimately what determines whether we go. Do you know, people have asked me, well, what's the essence of unity? People think it's agreement, it's alignment, it's association, whatever, and it's all true. But I think if unity was a fruit and you peeled it to the very essence and the core of what exactly is at the core of unity, I believe what you find is commitment. See, my wife and I are united, but we don't agree necessarily on everything. Now, you can't have unity without agreement. But if, it's, if at the core of unity is only agreement, the minute we disagree, we divide. But if I'm committed to you and you're committed to me, even when we disagree, our commitment to each other will pull us back to the table to work it out until we find agreement and find alignment and find all of that again. It's far more than just we all have to have the same viewpoint. You can't have creativity and diversity of ideas, but at the core of it must be a deep-hearted commitment. And when there's that commitment, you have the bond and the basis of unity. And that unity is powerful, but that unity, whether it builds or destroys, depends on what we unite around. So if you think of unity as commitment in its essence, what you, you only have a measure, a modicum of commitment, and you've got to invest it, you've got to park it somewhere. The Tower of Babel teaches us that unity is powerful. God did not say, I remind you, well, listen, because their motives are bad, uh, the unity won't work. He said, no, nothing is impossible for this crew. And because that, they've discovered, they've tapped into the power, the accelerant, the, 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 the increase that comes with unity. And he, so he, God literally divides them through language so that this thing goes no further. And then you fast forward to the day of Pentecost, they're in one place, they're one accord, suddenly there comes a sound from heaven and God back. Well, I don't know why it took 10 days, maybe they had to get the discords out. God, we know that Jesus turned up to 500 people, but 380 obviously couldn't last the 10-day prayer meeting, but maybe God was waiting till the one accord moment before he released what he wanted to release. Maybe God is waiting on your one accord moment. You're thinking you've got to change this, you've got to change that, you've got to, and really he's going, well, look, whoever's in the room, I'd rather have less in unity because that will actually create a platform for phenomenal diversity, phenomenal creativity, because at the core of it, there's a commitment, there's a heartfelt trust. So the issue is, what do we unite around? Because the Tower of Babel shows you, do you know a negative person can unite with a negative person and it's powerful? It's powerful. Unity is powerful. It doesn't matter what the context. So what do we unite around? You know, as, as we've gone on this journey, we're 14 years old. Last year, we were 13 years old. That's deep. But when we were 13 years old, I told our leaders, I said, we're in our teenage church. I said, uh, so here's what we're expecting. If you're a teenager, this is what we're believing for our church. Growth spurt, 
without the hormones or the bad attitude or the body odor. <laughs> and look, I was sort of having fun with our leaders, but the reality is the growth that we've experienced, I can't put down to brilliant preaching, phenomenal leadership, excellent strategy, or great execution. All of that plays some role, but we have, the one thing I've had zero tolerance for is division and disunity, and people misunderstand that sometimes. And if you're the leader, you've got to have the courage to go back and now go and speak on the whole idea of being on the same page and run the risk that you're going to get misinterpreted as this guy has an agenda, here he goes telling us off again. But when you realize what you're really doing is creating the kind of alignment where we will have more Ian from hospitality stories, where you know the whole body can be anointed when we stay united, you will suddenly, suddenly see it in a different light. But what do we unite around? What do we take our team and park the unity in? Here, let me give you a, f a couple of examples of what I mean. We need to unite around the future, not the past. So you've got a measure of unity. You can unite around the past. If you unite around the past, you create nostalgia. But if you unite around the future, you create momentum. Everyone knows what it's like to walk into a new environment, and you know what it's like. You go into a church for the first time, and you're looking for something familiar. So you're either looking for, like, you know, I'll pick on my own race, you know. So uh, you walk into that, like, you find another Indian. Oh, Sarah, Sarah, great. God bless. Oh, bloody, good to see you. Yeah, this is a good place. You know, you like it. And you, you, there's a comfort because of where you've come from. And the past is not bad, but if you've got a measure of commitment, don't invest it into where you've been. See, if your team is a cocktail of randoms from random places, you want the unity to be where you're going, not where you've been. You want to park the commitment, not, we love, we honor the past. We do all of that, but really we, we, we focus, we, we liquidate our commitment from where we've been, and we invest it into where we're going. The Bible says that in the New Testament early church, that in the past, it was male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. But in the future, it's one in Christ. So every division in the church had to look towards where we were going. There's something about where you're going that makes this far more exciting. When your team starts to talk a lot about the past, be careful to point them and say, guys, that's wonderful. We're excited about it, good or bad. We point our focus towards where we're going. And let's unite around where we're going. And then all of a sudden, it's like those things that are in the past don't have the same hold. Uh, Jemima and I, I told you a bit of our story last night. Uh, I told you about our cultural dynamic. Uh, what I didn't tell you about Jemima is that she's one-eighth French. I've just met some new French friends, and uh, she's really proud of her French heritage, even though she's one-eighth French. She makes a big deal of it. From the time I married her, I'm like, honey, you're only one-eighth French. Our boys are one-sixteenth French, but she makes them eat croissants on Saturday. Her middle name was spelt the French way. She took French classes. For some reason, that part of her lineage was a big deal. I love French people, but you got to understand, that's all they talked about. Like, the French, there was some great-grandfather, Jean-Paul somebody from somewhere, who had something significant and we're all meant to idolize this French guy and uh, it was nothing, nothing bad it was fun and it's just this but it was a big deal for her about six years into marriage seven years into marriage she's in New Zealand ministering somewhere I'm in Singapore or Malaysia or somewhere and she rings me in a panic she goes honey are you sitting down I'm like who died like what happened She's like, you're not gonna believe it. I go, what? She goes, I'm with my aunt, you know, you know my great-grandfather? I go, no, but I feel like we all know him, you know, yeah, Jean-Paul, whatever. He goes, yeah, go, but they've done the DNA test and they've done some research and we found out it's all a lie. <laughs> it was, 
<laughs> it was the best day of my life up to that point. I started laughing and laughing and laughing. I go, what? So he's not French. No. I go, so you're not French. No. I go, so what are you? What, is, what was he? I said, his name's not Jean-Paul. No. I said, what's his name? He goes, oh, Najib. I said, what are you? He goes, I'm Arab. I go, that's amazing. Oh, I laughed. There's nothing wrong with being Arab, but you got to understand, she thought she was French. It was hilarious. She's going through identity uh, transition. I don't know what the word is. She's having a crisis, and I'm laughing. I am laughing and laughing and laughing. I'm, as in the middle of my laugh, I'm thinking of all the croissants I've eaten in vain, and I'm thinking of all, you know, until, and I'm like, man, man, my, my, and then it dawns on me. This is funny. This is funny. I, I, I was a really bad husband for the next four days. You might think I should have been caring, loving, and nursed her through her journey of acceptance of who she really is. But you gotta be, you gotta understand, I thought this was the funniest thing in the world. At night, I'd send a text like, love you, good night, sweet daughter of Ishmael, ex send. <laughs> I'd find pictures of the shisha pipes and I'd send it to her, I said, Christmas is coming soon. And then there were also moments of anger. I'm like, you've been blaming Zeke's temper on the Indian gene. We now know where his temper comes from. I mean, it was a, a blast. And before you judge me and say what a horrible human you are without any care for your wife, we both thought it was relatively funny. And after the initial shock, we laughed about it. And you know the reason I didn't file for divorce? Because marriage on false pretenses. I mean, I didn't know you told me you're one eighth friend. If you have on you, the reason we didn't file for divorce is because our unity and our commitment is not based on where she's from, but where we are going. You can laugh at the past when your unity is where you're going. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. You can laugh at whatever the enemy's tried to do. Just because something changed in her background does not change where we're going as a couple. So you can laugh and you can actually have some, some joy about, because my commitment to her was not based on some fact from the past. It's based on where we are going together. And as a team, Laugh at the past, celebrate it, but park your measure of commitment towards where God is taking you. If God is taking you as a team, what does 2020 hold for you? What does the next decade hold for you? We can sit back and celebrate all that God has done, but we look ahead and we go, God, we thank you that all our team, are, wherever they come from, whether they're new. I love what Soph said in earlier session today. If they walk through the door and they've only been here for three weeks, they were meant to be here. They're part of the family. Let, where you came from, we'll listen later, but really where we're interested in is where we're going. And when we unite around the future, we create momentum. But when we unite around the past, it creates not just division, but nostalgia is not bad, but really where we want to go is where we want to go. We also need to unite not only around the future instead of the past, we need to unite around principles, not preferences. I've seen many teams unite around preference issues, and it creates division and segregation. But let's unite around the one thing that changes not. The Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word remains forever. God's word is full of principle, and we need to park our commitment there. In, in, this, in this cultural beige globe where everything is sort of mixed up and messed up, in a world that is doesn't know the difference anymore between principle and preference. We've got to identify what's the word, what is eternal, what is true, and stand on it, park our commitment on it, and plan around that. See, the, 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 God calls things principles. The world is now, God calls marriage a principle between a man and a woman. The world now calls it a preference. 
And when the world starts calling what God calls a principle of preference on any issue, we got to make sure we take the team and park our commitment and our unity around the Word of God because it was there well before we came and it'll be there well after we leave. And listen, there's one Bible, there's one God, and He transcends time, tongue, tribe, country, color, division, fad, whatever's in, whatever's out, whatever the laws are. And he's eternal and he's the same. And so if I've got commitment, I don't want to put a bit here and a bit there. And just like there's a difference between principle and preference, I've met so many pastors who make their preference a principle. And what that does is it kills creativity. It kills the desire to win. Like hospitality is a principle. Which cake you serve is a preference. Worship is a principle. Which song is a preference. And I've seen fracture in churches because pastors have made their preference everybody's principle. And that is just a a suffocating environment. There's no winging in that environment. There's no creativity in that environment. Everyone is walking the tightrope scared to make a mistake. And yet it's not anchored in the word that's eternal. It's anchored in something that's so temporal. We need to make sure that the, the measure of commitment and unity we have, we park it in the one thing that will not change. And that is God. That is his presence. That is his word. And those things will last seasons that last decades that's where we've got to park it see the oil keeps flowing all the way but we've got to decide where we unite around a church that unites around where you're going and the one thing that's eternal is going to see this oil flow all the way to the edge unity is so powerful even the devil uses it the devil uses unity he will create whatever he can and if he can't divide you he'll distract you And he'll start directing where you park your commitment into, yeah, but what about this? And people misunderstand that the creativity that's released around the table talk in this environment is a byproduct of an underlying commitment we have one to another. And if we can stay in that space, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. It's like the oil of heaven literally flowing down to the edge of the garments. It is my joy and delight and my prayer that the next generation of people in Kingdom City and everywhere that I get to influence or help will see the same anointing that's on the head right on the edge so that we have far more Ian from hospitality stories right around Europe, right around Britain, right around Africa, wherever the body of Christ is, we want the whole thing anointed. And finally, we'll get the the team up, the band up. Finally, the third thing we need to unite around is relationships, not roles. Again, you've got a measure of commitment. I've just, again, and maybe it's just our world, but there are people who get their identity from their title or from their role or from their badge. I'm now on the executive. I'm now on the senior. And listen, Praise God. But that's not where we park our unity. If my commitment to Glenn is because he's now the big daddy of the AOG in England. I mean, that is a big deal. Great Britain, sorry. Great Britain. He's now the... If my commitment to him is only because of his title, the minute he's not, it's like, no. And yet, how many churches have fragmented because we park our unity around divisions? That's why, again, I love the fact that even though we have departments, I never want them to become silos. I love the church to mingle, to cross-pollinate, and to, and to, and to, why? Because when you just get addicted to your role, your title, your division, what happens is you start to create segregation and even potentially identity issues. I am the worship pastor. No, you're not. You're a son of God who leads worship. 
You're, you're, you're not what you do. You, who you are in Christ is who you are in Christ. And whatever changes, that changes. When I grew up in my father's house, I was a son of the house. When I washed the dishes, I wasn't the dishwasher. When I did the gardening, I wasn't the gardener. I was a son doing the garden and I was a son washing the dishes. Who I am, I parked my unity around my identity in Christ. And even in the fraternity of relationships and friendships. Don't go, oh, let me find the table with big churches. Oh, you just started. Oh, okay. Let's not, let's not park our unity around the seasons we're in, the titles we have, or the roles we carry. Let's park it in the deep commitment of friendship. And if that relationship works, even when Glenn is not the president, even though that'll never be, that day will never come. You're not in our lifetime. But whenever the day comes, it's not going to go, oh, oh, man, man. Listen, can you put me in touch with the new one? Because that's my new. Don't park your commitment to someone's season park it to who they are. And you know, if the whole body of Christ did that, the oil would flow. Now, I'm aware there'd be people here tonight going, hang on, so all I need to do is be united and I'm anointed? What about pursuing God? What about digging my own well? There's a difference between the oil that's on you and the oil that's in you. The oil that's in you is your responsibility and no one else can do that for you. You can have the best spouse, the best pastor, the best parent. You've got to pursue God and that's the oil that's in you. The oil in you is your responsibility, but the oil on you is our responsibility. That's why I've seen many anointed people taken out by the devil because they're not in covenant, they're not in commitment, they're not in family, they're not in unity. So there's a lot of oil in them. But when the oil is on you, the roaring lion that pours around, it's hard to grab something that's oily on the outside but if you're dry on the outside, it's because check the unity factor. I know you're good with God, but how are you with your brother? How are you with your sister? How with your pastor? Or does it start to fragment? We've got to fight, protect, and go after unity more than we've ever done. And, and let's not just make it the once a year topic. See, if you really get what God is saying today, you take it back as a leadership vision message. Because everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to see acceleration. Unity is God's secret weapon of mass acceleration. Yes, it brings healing. Yes, it brings alignment. Yes, it brings community. But really, God says, are you kidding me? You know, I think at the core of it is all of us as human beings have a bent for independence. Like a car with no wheel alignment, we eventually just, there's something about independence that is so intrinsically attractive, but we need to be autonomous in function, but united at heart. And the problem with independence is God goes, listen, I'm going to set up a test. Let's give these humans a test. Listen, if any, even, listen, we won't even make it thousands. If two of you, just two, if two can agree, Watch, ask whatever you want. If two can gather in my name and not fight, divorce, break up, split. He set it up as a divine test that we would then in humility yield our preferences, our past, and whatever, leave our badge, our logo, our ego at the door and come into the house of God and say, God, I'm here. And in one heart, in one accord, in one place, wow, suddenly there comes these moments of breakthrough. And when you have creative brainstorms, when you have winging table talk, when you have ideas of where we're going, when the whole room feels healthy, feels connected, and ultimately feels committed to one another, God goes, God smiles and he goes, there's a place I'm going to visit. I've just seen people who are not that good at preaching, not that good at singing, but there's unity. When there's unity in the home, there's, there's an oil that flows to the edge. When there's unity in a workplace, oil flows to the edge. When there's unity in the church, oil flows to the edge. And that's really 
and non-negotiable platform of the acceleration that God has in store for you. Jemima and I laugh when you ever meet her, if you ever meet her, tease her about being an Arab because it's, it's not a sensitive issue. We now eat kebabs with hummus. We don't eat croissants anymore. It's, it, we've changed our entire diet. It's, it's, it's funny now. But really, some of us have been knotted about issues that really are in the past. Let's look towards where God has taken us and let's believe that everything God has sowed over the last 24 hours will land in the kind of soil and we say, you know what? If we need to forgive, if we need to let go, if we need to deal with stuff, let's do it. But let's not just resolve issue. Let's make a fresh commitment to one another. You're sitting at a table with your team. You're probably sitting with people that you're close to. Make a fresh commitment to say, Father, before me and you, I want to give myself. I want to I pass the test of being yielded and just committed. And Lord, as we stay, as we dwell, as we live in this place of unity, Thank you for the commanded blessing. Thank you for the oil flowing. Thank you, Lord, that it would flow down to the volunteers in our church. It would flow down to the connect groups. It'll flow down to the connect lounge. It'll flow down to the car parks. It'll flow down to the Mondays. It'll flow. We will have story after story after story after story after story after story after story of what the Lord does. We'll never even be able to tabulate or calculate what it looks like. Because there are women with the issue of blood, so to speak, in our cities, and all they can do is touch the fringe. You owe it to those people in your community to protect the unity so when they come into the hem, they feel the oil of God, and that's what revival ultimately looks like. Come on, let's stand to our feet.